Good to be uh, with you again this morning, and uh, greetings from uh, the Christians who meet in uh, Bellevue Chapel, not too far uh, from, from here. Um, one of the great dangers, I think, sometimes of being a Christian is you think you have all the answers to life, and you can carry on virtually on your own, and you don't give it a minute's thought until all of a sudden you kind of stuff up big time and you get something wrong in life. And it's at times like that that you realize, actually, you can't make anything of the Christian life unless you really throw yourself on the mercy of God and the power of his Holy Spirit. And I really enjoyed this week um, reading again the passage you've, you've given me. It's a, it's a great passage of Scripture. Um, one with a lot of depth to it, but one that's really practical and helpful. I was saying to, to Graham earlier, he was very jealous that I'd been given that passage. But I said to him not to feel too bad because I'm through in Hamilton tonight speaking. And um, they've given me Genesis 20 to speak on. Now, uh, I know from your looks you're thinking, what's happened in Genesis 20? Well, what you'll find is a very intriguing story of Abraham meeting up with um, a king called Abimelech. Uh, and the sort of central theme of the story is he passes his wife off as his sister. I've got to talk for 40 minutes on that tonight. So anybody who has any suggestions, it's not too late. There's still a gap in my, in my sermon. I'm going to phone the chairman up this afternoon and suggest he picks a couple of really long hymns. Uh, to fill in the, the gaps. but uh, So our passage this morning, very uh, much more straightforward and powerful for us. I was really encouraged too when um, Peter was up uh, earlier flying a helicopter because he talked also about, how did he say it? Power. More like that. Huh? There you go. Um, uh, and he referred to that period in... Uh, the experience of the disciples when they'd seen the Lord die, they'd seen him buried, they'd experienced him alive, and then he began for 40 days to teach them, and he taught them just two things in these 40 days. Isn't that incredible? The last 40 days, perhaps, that he would be with his disciples on earth, he spent two days teaching them, firstly, about the kingdom of God, and that's really important because... That kingdom has started, we're living in it, and it's stretching out in front of us. And the second thing he taught them was about the Holy Spirit, about God's power. And I want, as we go through our passage this morning, to think about God's Spirit's power and how it helps us to live as Christians for him today. So just to get the context before we turn to the passage we're going to read, Acts 1 verse 8, you don't need to turn to this, you'll know this verse. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. What a promise. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, Tanzania, to the ends of the earth. What a challenge. So let's turn then to Ephesians 3. I've no fancy PowerPoint for you, so you just have to listen to me, I'm afraid. Nothing for you to look at on the screen. At least I hope not. There you go. Nothing on the screen for you to look at. Just me and uh, 
God's, God's word. Let's read Ephesians 3. Um, let me start at verse 13. Um, I did have a title, actually. Give me a title. The Manifold Wisdom of God. I'm not sure if I'll bring that in or not, other than to say, here is the Manifold Wisdom of God. Okay? So, um, there you go. Title dealt with. Uh, verse 13 of Ephesians 3. I ask you, therefore, Paul writes, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, long, high, deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Power. Well, in a few weeks' time, there'll be a few people who have been hoping for power, either happy they've got it or disappointed they've missed out on it. And I guess we too will be either happy they've got it or disappointed they've missed out on it. I do hope, by the way, that you'll be voting the right way, by which I mean praying. There's no political comment in that at all, but we need to pray for um, things like elections. It's important to us. Uh, my mother-in-law has been complaining lamentably for weeks now about power, different kind of power. She's been complaining about Scottish power. Anybody here from Scottish power? Oh, there's one person. No, no. She's denying it. She just resigned. My mother-in-law's had trouble with her boiler. And every time she phones, there's a new drama. And it's all the fault of Scottish power. Well, that's not the kind of power that the Apostle Paul here is talking about. Power is a, has been an important word for Paul. He's been talking about power in this letter he's written. He's talked about God's incomparably great power. Kind of hard to imagine and get your head round, doesn't it? God's incomparably great power that raised Jesus from the dead. Paul's been talking about it. He's just talked also earlier on in this chapter about how God's power is actually at work in our hearts, in the hearts of these Ephesians, in your heart and mine, if we know the Lord Jesus. Isn't that incredible? God's power, right now, today, is at work in your heart and in mine. We kind of forget that, don't we? Paul's prayer comes out of a sense, I think, that these Christians he was writing to had got a bit discouraged with life, particularly maybe about what was happening to Paul that they'd heard about his suffering, maybe their own, and it was getting them down. That kind of happens to us as Christians, doesn't it? At times we get down, we, we get discouraged. Living for Jesus today is sometimes quite hard to do, especially when we know in our hearts we've let God down. 
Or, or perhaps actually we feel sometimes he's let us down. Now, of course, that's not the case, but it doesn't stop us feeling that way sometimes, doesn't it? So Paul's prayer here makes the point that actually discouragement ought not to be what we should feel as Christians because God has given us his power to live for him. And that power, as we heard earlier, of course, is the the presence of his Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. He enters our hearts, of course, when we, we give our lives over to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given to us his energy, if you like, his presence. And that Spirit's purpose is, of course, to continue day by day to help us understand more and more of God and to reveal more and more of the Lord Jesus both to us and also to help us to reveal it to others. Now, our world, of course, has totally the wrong idea about power. We often see it as something rather negative or overbearing. We don't like to think of something or someone who has power over us. But when the New Testament talks about power, it's talking about the tremendous resources of God available to you and I to get things done for God. The English language has great many origins and the word dynamite, people say, has come from this Greek word. So we immediately think God's power is something that goes bang. There, I've woken you up. And and blows things up and destroys things. Well, of course, that's not the idea at all, is it? God gives us his power to enable us to live for him. And to do what he wants us to do, what he has asked us to do, what he has commanded us to do. And actually just to help us sometimes, day by day, live for Jesus. And so as Paul thinks about these slightly discouraged Christians, he prays that the power of God's Holy Spirit would be their very real experience. He wants them living beyond their expectation and as I thought about that, I, I, I did wonder whether our churches today, maybe you as an individual, need a, a fresh realization of that God is at work in your life. His power is here in this place. Do we need that fresh realization? I guess before we are too quick to say yes, we need to ask ourselves, why is there something that's stopping God's power either working through us or or working through the church? Is there something that's that's just putting a a big dampener on how God works? Is it that we've not left him any room in our lives to work for us? You know, our lives are so full of other things that are far more important than God. Well, we've kind of squeezed them out. Maybe that's the case. Well, as we'll see in a moment, Paul will give us some really important reasons for seeking Fresh wind, fresh power, as as the American pastor Jim Simbala called it in his book. And there's only one real purpose for God's power, you know. Paul described it in verse 21 as, so there would be glory in his church. Jesus said, you'll get this power so that you will be my witnesses. That's why we have God's power. Oh, it's nice to know it's there. 
But it's not so that we can go around healing people unless you are, of course, a very talented doctor, in which case God's given you some gifts there. But it's not really for these fantastic experiences, great though they might be. You have God's spirit in you so that you can live for Jesus. And when you live for Jesus, you will be his witnesses. Day in and day out. It is, isn't it, an incredible and and humbling thought that the Holy Spirit is the enabling power behind the witness of the church in the world. He is the ability given to Christians for the completion of the great commission of world evangelization, and we've heard a bit about it. That's a huge relief. It's not down to me, (laughs) and it's not down to you. Oh, we can do things in the power of God, but ultimately, it's God's Spirit. So if we want to claim this power for ourselves, then we'd better be completely behind the strategy of heaven, which is to win men and women for Christ. Let's look at this prayer. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. As Paul prays here for the power to strengthen the inner man. I pray, he says, that out of his glorious riches, out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, our culture, of course, is more concerned with the outer man. Gym memberships, keeping fit, anti-aging creams, plastic surgery, whatever it might be, we've got to look good on the inside. It doesn't actually matter if inside we're rotting away, as long as on the outside we're looking good. But that's not God's ambition for us. His ambition is that inner man, the eternal bit of us, gets stronger and stronger and stronger day by day. Paradoxically, of course, as Christians, on the outside, we may look terribly weak and rather vulnerable, as was in the case of Paul, ill, persecuted, beaten, imprisoned. And yet inside, he was utterly lion-hearted. And he would write to the Corinthian church, we do not lose heart, he says. Outwardly, we are wasting away. And yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Why is it the priority of God that the inner man is strengthened? Well, says Paul, so that Christ may dwell. Without question, I think the most remarkable fact of Scripture is that Jesus Christ himself, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, will actually enter a heart and life. Settle down and be at home there. That's the sense of what Paul means. Because to dwell, you know, is not what you do as a lodger. Or what you do as you rent a room. That's not the sense of what Paul means here. What he means is Jesus Christ has come into a life and he's there to stay. That heart is his. In John 14, we find Jesus talking to his disciples about homes. They had all left their homes for him. He was saying to them that he would shortly leave them and prepare a home for them. Meanwhile, their hearts would be the home for his spirit. 
Oh, they found that really hard to understand uh, until at Pentecost. And then they felt that presence, didn't they? A tremendous wind. The flames of fire. So demonstrable symbols. God was there. The Spirit had come home. Robert Munger, a Presbyterian minister from a few decades ago, he he wrote a wonderful little book entitled My Heart, Christ's Home. Anybody read it? Anybody brave enough to put their hand because you're probably over 50? Nobody has. Well, there you go. My Heart, Christ's Home. In it, he, he pictured his life as various rooms. So he said, Christ came in and I showed him into the library. It was his mind. The control room of the house. And he writes in his book of his embarrassment at Jesus viewing the books in his library. The magazines on his coffee table. The films in his collection. And he writes, I turned to him and said, Master, I know this room needs a radical alteration. Will you help make it what it ought to be? Then he says, we went to the dining room, the place where our appetites are met. And it dawned on Robert Munger of all the things he had fed himself on that were not ultimately satisfying and in some cases were harmful and how much he knew then he needed to feed himself on Jesus. The living room where he relaxed, put his feet up. He realized how much time he spent relaxed with his feet up and how much time he should have spent in prayer. And then he talks most challengingly of all of the closet under the stairs. The room is locked. It's dark. And it's where he said he put things from his past life that he'd found hard to give up. And so he'd locked them away. And he writes in his book how the Lord came to the room and asked for the key. And Robert Munger says, you can't go in there, Lord. And the Savior saying to him, but I need to. It needs cleaned out. And Munger says at that point, he knew he didn't just need to open up. He needed to give the title deeds of the house to the Savior. Do you see the point? The inner man is where the Lord Jesus comes and dwells. And if he's going to come and he's going to dwell, he's going to own and we need to give it all to him. There's nothing in there that we can keep hidden away that he doesn't deal with. How much, therefore, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to strengthen that inner man. To ensure that our hearts are homes that Jesus will be at rest in. And that we will be at peace knowing his presence. The power to strengthen the inner man. Then verses 17 to 19, Paul talks about the power to love. With that lovely video at the beginning, it was really clever. And Paul here wants us to know something that is essentially unknowable. The, the amazing quality and dimensions of the Savior's love. We have such a superficial and small view 
of love, even when we grasp what the Bible says of it. So Paul gives us a couple of metaphors to help us understand what grasping it really means. One is botanical. We've got to be rooted. Something is going to grow really strong. I'm not a gardener. I prefer concrete, but there you go. But if something's going to grow, it needs good roots, apparently. And he gives an architectural here as well. He, He talks about something that's grounded, that has strong foundations, You want a big building like this? I guess it has really strong foundations. You see, when the the rubber hits the road of our Christian life, or our church life, it's how well rooted we are, how well grounded we are in the love of God that will help us. And Paul gives us these limitless dimensions of height and width and depth. I wanted to break into that chorus, Jesus' love is very wonderful, but I won't. That'll empty the place instantly. But you get the point, don't you? And the reality is, of course, you can get really low in life. You can feel as though you've committed the most heinous of sins. You can feel as though your life has got... Just rock bottom and below rock bottom. And do you know what? The love of God in Christ is there for you. Or you can have the most spiritual high you've ever had. The greatest experience you've ever had of Christ. And do you know what? There's always more. There's always more. John talks about Jesus saying to his disciples, I want to show you the full extent of my love. And he, he did it by, you know, by washing smelly feet. But as a picture of, of what he would do on the cross, with arms outstretched, pinned to a wooden cross, that's the extent of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but, do you know, sometimes I'm just utterly speechless at that. That, you know, transcendent sense of something that you really want to grasp, and yet it's unknowable. It's too vast. Can't understand it. Can't get a head around it. But, you know, when Christ comes in and dominates your life, the one obvious characteristic that will be shown will be love. And just in case we don't understand what kind of love Paul is describing and why we need the Spirit to empower us, John would say, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our life for our brothers. But did you notice something important there in verse 18? He says, We have power, he says, but together uh, with all the saints. There's something here you see about God's power that that isn't individualistic at all. It's communal. It needs all of us to know and to understand God's love. You can't do it on your own. We need each other. The person to sit side needs to tell you what God's love has meant to them this week. Because even if you felt in a cold and difficult place, 
they can come and they can warm your heart. They might be able to demonstrate it to you in some way. You see, that's why church is really important for Christians. You think that's a terribly obvious thing to say, but do you know, I get terribly fed up with some folks at Bellevue. You don't tell them that, but... Do you know, they say to me, I say to them, I didn't see you last Sunday. No, I was quite busy. Oh, I said, that's funny. I always thought Sunday was a day of rest. I was resting, they said. I'd had a busy week. I, 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 do you know, I get cross. I know you shouldn't, but that's a daft way to go on. God has given us this vehicle that we call church, but he's given us it as a community. We need to be here. There's no point sitting in your living room on your own relaxing because you won't get any sense of the love of God in Christ that's really meaningful there. Or you might get a wee bit of it. But who wants a wee bit of anything? Would you not rather have it all? John Stott wrote, do you know, it takes the whole people of God to understand the whole love of God. Because as isolated Christians, we can only ever know some of it. Oh, and by the way, of course, it's crucial to our witness, isn't it? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love for each other. I hope Bellevue now listen to the tape. I don't suppose they will. They're probably glad to be shot of me for a day. Here's the last point. Verses 20 to 21. It's a wee doxology at the end of Paul's prayer. I don't know what your prayers end up like. Mine usually end up a kind of confusion of words and I thought I better get on, I'm going to work. Paul has time to to kind of give us this wonderful doxology that, that really is all about a power to do. So we thought about a power to strengthen our inner man. We thought about a power to love. Here's a power to do. Because the heart of Paul's prayer is not that we know something, but that we do something. We serve here a God of no limits. Now maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know what, I'd be really happy if I could just accomplish the things I know about the things I've been praying about, the things I've been thinking about. Here's Paul telling me about things I haven't even imagined about he wants us to do. But you see the point. It's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about what we can do. Because you know what? We can do now. That means nothing to our Tanzanian friends. We can do nothing on our own. Anything... We do for Christ is done in his power at work in us. And someone once said, you know, what would you attempt for God if you knew you couldn't fail? If you just knew it would work, what would you do? Maybe you'd go off to Tanzania. Maybe you'd just talk to your neighbor about the law. Maybe this morning you'd open your heart up to the Lord Jesus Christ and you could say, come in. Come in. 
I think too easily we allow ourselves to doubt and limit the power of God to accomplish all that he wants to do through you and through me. We have a God of no limits. Again, John Stott says, he is able to do more than we can ask or think or imagine for his expectations are higher than ours. And he does not give his grace in calculated measures. Well, is Christ at home in your heart? Have you made that commitment? Maybe you've tried, you know, maybe you've, you've prayed that the Lord would come in and hasn't really felt as if he has. Maybe it's because you've got a closet. And there's something in there that you've got buried away. And you need him to take ownership of that as well. We oftentimes have those experiences in our life when we, we just need to get things right with God. By his spirit, he, he gives us that strength to do that. Are you willing to allow him to fill your life? What with? Love? Yeah. What about this church? Is it to be filled with the love of God such that we love one another? Such that others see the love we have for one another and such that we love others who are not yet part of Christ's great kingdom? Are we going to be his witness, testifying to his glory? Seeking his grace. May God bless his word to us. And I trust he will bless all that this church seeks to do for him. Let's pray together. Our Father God, we thank you for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the way he came and he lived and he identified with us as human beings. We thank you for the fact that he died that he took my sins on Calvary. He dealt with them. We thank you that he rose and that now he has ascended in heaven. He's at your right hand. And Father, we thank you that we are not alone. He hasn't left us. That in our hearts, we have your spirit. Father, we claim him. We own him. We ask for him to come and to anoint us, yes, but to live within us. We turn over our hearts and lives to him. As individuals this morning, yes, but also corporately as fellowships, whether here at Brunsfield or at Bellevue or any of the other churches in Edinburgh, Father, may they be spirit-filled and spirit-empowered places of worship. That this city, this land, might be claimed again for Scotland, for, for God. Father, we thank you for the growth of your church in other lands. We thank you for the growth in Africa, for the growth in South America, for even that growth in China and in other lands. Lord, we want that growth here. We want to see people streaming into our churches. We want to see people turning this land upside down again because of you. And we might have a part to play in that, Lord. Release us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.